0: Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you can get podcasts. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app, and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show inside Sided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Of course, I am Matt Lombardo, Fansided's NFL insider, thrilled to have you. Tuned into the program once again. Big show on tap. A little bit later on, we'll be joined by former Tennessee Titans wide receiver Chris Sanders, get his thoughts on everything Julio Jones, everything Tennessee Titans, and a whole lot more. And of course, the biggest trade of the NFL offseason, as we expected it would last week, and we talked about it on the podcast last Friday afternoon. It went down last weekend when the Atlanta Falcons sent Julio Jones and a sixth round pick to the Tennessee Titans in exchange for a second and a fourth round pick. And certainly we can talk about whether or not the Falcons got fair value. We can talk about what it means for the Titans, and we will throughout the podcast. But before we get to all of that, if you like what you hear on the show, I'd really love it if you would go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store and on Spotify. Just search for Stacking the Box, and NFL podcast, and if you like what you hear on on the program, I'd really appreciate those five star reviews. Let me know what you like about the show, what you don't like, some guests that you might be interested in hearing from, and I'll try to go get them. But those five star reviews really help grow the show and they mean a lot to me personally. But you know, I touched on it a little bit in the column last week that this was a huge win for the Tennessee Titans. And in the grand scheme of things, it's it's kind of chump change what the Titans wound up giving up for Julio Jones because some people inside the NFL, some high-ranking scouts and some executives, they believe Julio Jones is still the premier wide receiver in the entire league, even at age 32 and even after coming off a little bit of a down season where he fought through some nagging injuries and all of those things. But that's the kind of player that Tennessee now gets to drop into what's already a Super Bowl caliber offense. And if you haven't read the column yet, go to fansided.com and check it out. You know, this trade, it really sent two franchises in two really different directions because for Tennessee, you get Julio Jones, right? He's a number one wide receiver and you're pairing him on the perimeter outside of A.J. Brown, who showed he can be a dominant number one wide receiver in this league. And you get to utilize Julio Jones doing what he does best, creating mismatches, creating opportunities for big plays, deep downfield, and over the top. And in the process, you can let A.J. Brown get down and dirty in the blocking game. You can let him throw his weight around on the inside. And But if you're a defense, you best be sure that if you shade a safety over to Julio's side, guess what? A.J. Brown is going to streak down the sidelines and beat you over the top for 50 yards and a touchdown. That's just how quick things can go sideways for defenses when you're matched up with a team with this many weapons. So the same thing applies, though, that if you want to drop a safety into deep coverage or, you know, you want to only put five guys in the box because you're afraid of what Tennessee can do for you, do against you rather in the passing game. Have fun because all Ryan Tannehill has to do is turn around and hand the ball off to Derrick Henry, who's the two-time defending rushing champion and a bowling ball of a running back, one of the more physical rushers in the entire league. So for Tennessee, this really is a pick your poison situation for that offense. There's no real way to you know, dictate how you defend that offense now. And they already have a really physical defense. They already have an organization and a franchise with Mike Vrabel's fingerprints all over it. So this really helped and boosted and bolstered Tennessee's chances of going to a Super Bowl. But for the Falcons, you know, you talk to executives around the league, you talk to coaches, you talk to scouts, and opinions and feelings about what Atlanta is and what they've accomplished with this trade are really split and really varying because you know where do they go from here do you build around Matt Ryan do you as one executive told me for the column go out and spend on the best offensive tackle in free agency next spring and then draft the best offensive tackle available to you do you bite the bullet rip off the band-aid and trade Matt Ryan and recoup 25 million against the cap while eating dead money in the tune of 20 Twenty-seven million dollars and a 27 million dollar dead cap charge is that what you do is that the move you know i don't know and and you know a couple of nfc executives really believe the cupboard isn't bare you talk about kyle pitts being a generational talent at tight end who can also split outside and replace julio jones at that x receiver spot and you know you have the pieces on defense and some people believe that matt ryan is still a quarterback Capable of playing at a high enough level to compete, and time will tell. But the Falcons, at least in my opinion, you've kind of split the baby here because you're trying to compete and win now while also freeing up $11.5 million in cap space by trading away Julio Jones. You're splitting the baby. And, you know, my 30,000 foot view of this is this is how you wind up in purgatory. And I'm going to be really intrigued to see what happens to the Atlanta Falcons, both in 2021, in 2022, and beyond. But in the immediate future, in the here and now, looking ahead to September and beyond, this trade, more than anything else, it really shakes up and begins to shape the Super Bowl hierarchy in the AFC. And that's where I'd really want to start the podcast, because I think there are now three levels here in terms of your Super Bowl hierarchy and who can make a claim to having a real chance of going to the Super Bowl in Los Angeles next February. So let's start with who's in the mix. And this is the team, and these are the teams that might be just a little bit above the field, just a little bit above the rest of the conference. And I think the Baltimore Ravens is where you find them, just above the AFC field. Because on one hand, you have a quarterback who's two years removed from the MVP, but There's still plenty of questions surrounding Lamar Jackson and how good he can be as a passer in this league, how big he can be in big-time situations. We saw what he did in that Monday night game, and, and, you know, that was one thing. But you look at what happened in the playoff game and in the loss to the Buffalo Bills with the winds swirling around on the banks of of Lake Erie. When you look at what happened on a, a cold night in Baltimore the prior year against a really physical Titans defense, there are now some questions about, Just how good Lamar Jackson is in the clutch, some of them fair, some of them not so fair. And I think that they really should have been in the mix for Julio Jones because you need to start giving Jackson game-altering pieces to see if he can be a championship-caliber quarterback. That's just where it is for him right now. And you have to figure out if you have all of the pieces in place around Jackson to go through the gauntlet of the AFC. Because I don't know that you have all the pieces that you need to beat the Titans or beat the Bills. And they've been knocking on the doorstep in recent years. And I love what they did in the draft. I love the fact that you get Jason away out of Penn State in round one. I think he has the chance to be a double-digit sack guy over the next couple of years. Scouts love the athleticism and the high ceiling, even though the production didn't necessarily match that last year at Penn State. And I think they've gotten better overall on both sides of the ball. But it doesn't help that the Ravens play in a division with the Cleveland Browns and even the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals. Those two teams have playoff caliber rosters at the very least, maybe more than that, if everything breaks their way. And then you go to the next tier. And these are the teams that are the biggest threats, the biggest threats to potentially, you know, knock on the door and steal a berth to the Super Bowl. And, you know, you can make a case that outside of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, no one had a better offseason than the Cleveland Browns. I think that what they've done has been really, really fascinating. And I think that they've elevated their chances of going to a Super Bowl based on everything that GM Andrew Barry has done. I mean, Troy Hill... He's a game-changer in that secondary. They stole Jeremiah Owusu-Kamaroa in the NFL draft after they already landed Greg Newsome, and they have a Swiss Army knife of a defender now also in John Johnson. So you look at that secondary trying to go up against the high-powered offenses like the Tennessee Titans, like the Kansas City Chiefs, like the Pittsburgh Steelers in their own division with that receiving core, and they are following a blueprint. They're doing what they need to do to win, and you look at the offense – You're entering another year with Baker Mayfield having a year of experience underneath his belt, another year of seasoning. You know, you look at the fact that that receiving core might be getting a healthy Odell Beckham Jr. back and healthy, and arguably they have the best running back duo in the league, so the Browns, to me, in my opinion, at least have AFC championship potential and maybe more than that so you know they're in the mix and this is where I think you find the Tennessee Titans this is where they fall in in this tier because they lost to the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC wildcard round last year at home really disappointing loss and Lamar Jackson had a great day that day especially on the ground but I think that Julio Jones gives the Titans the potential to go a bit further this year because you can dictate to opposing defenses with the personnel that they now have. They clearly have an attitude about them on defense that we touched on in terms of Mike Vrabel's fingerprints being all over that team and on that roster, but I just need to see them do a little bit more and win a few more big games against playoff-caliber competition for me to be completely bought in and all in with both feet. But one of the reasons, one of the key reasons, that I have the Titans in this tier and that I'm this high on Tennessee going into this season is the fact that they play in a far weaker division than the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens do. Because if Tennessee doesn't go 4-2 and two at least, or maybe 5-1 and one within the division against the Jaguars, the Texans, and the Colts, something went horribly wrong. That's how you wind up getting at least one home playoff game in the AFC playoffs playing in a division where you are head and shoulders above the rest of the teams within your division. And if you go 5-1 and one in the AFC South, well, that's setting you up for a potential playoff run. And it's much easier to do that in this division than it is in the juggernaut and the gauntlet of the AFC North. And finally, the last of these quote-unquote threats might be the biggest to the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's the Buffalo Bills. Because Josh Allen is still, even after what he did a year ago, an ascending talent at quarterback, when you have that kind of arm strength, you know, your ceiling just gets higher and higher. And you talk to people, you know, who were around him and trained him going into that draft – They put him at the top of the board, and they were shocked that he wasn't picked number one overall over the likes of Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold and certainly Josh Rosen in that class. But you look at what they did in the offseason. They added a nice weapon for him in the passing game in Jacob Hollister. They have Stephon Diggs, who can be a 1,500-yard receiver, maybe even double-digit touchdown threat this year if Allen can control that rocket launcher attached to his left shoulder. And, And you know what it takes to challenge the Kansas City Chiefs? Experience doing it in Arrowhead. You have to know what it's like to walk out of that tunnel and look at that team and say, you know, I can withstand their best punches and I can punch them in the mouth back. And for part of that AFC title game, the Buffalo Bills were able to do that last year. And all it takes is being able to do that for 60 minutes one day in the postseason if you're against the Chiefs. And they very well might have that opportunity to do it again this year. And then, of course, the prohibitive favorite, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. I've said it over and over and over again, and I'll say it again here one more time. As long as Andy Reid is the Chiefs head coach and Patrick Mahomes is their quarterback, Kansas City are the favorites to go to the Super Bowl. Hands down, bar none, it's not really that close. But then you look at what they did this offseason, and Brett Veach hit a home run, multiple home runs, maybe even a grand slam, because clearly Veach watched what happened in Miami in that Super Bowl, in Tampa Bay, what rather, in that Super Bowl last year, and was hellbent on making sure that it didn't happen again. They went out and they committed highway robbery, getting Orlando Brown from the Ravens in a trade. They signed Joe Thune. They're pumped up about their rookie class, which they should be. And every team in the league is now both emulating the Chiefs model. And if you're in the AFC, trying to build your roster to beat them, to counteract all of the star power that they have around them. I don't think that happens. I don't think anybody beats the Chiefs. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think that if Kansas City gets through week one against the Browns, they could go 17 0. So I think the Chiefs are the prohibitive favorites. I think there are tears in terms of the threats to them getting back to and winning a Super Bowl. But every year, there are a couple wild cards, right? There are a couple of sleepers, teams to watch that could make some noise. And here are my two sleepers that I have just outside of this grouping. And the first is the Chargers. You know, Justin Herbert is legit. He's a franchise quarterback. He. Walks into this year, in my opinion, as a top 12 to 15 quarterback in the league this year after what he did during his rookie season. Executive and coaches around the league are drooling about his potential and how high the Chargers ceiling is. They beefed up the offensive line in front of him this year, which is huge. And if Herbert makes that year two leap, just as Josh Allen did in his second year, they have wild-card potential in the AFC for sure. And they could get hot in the postseason. And to a somewhat lesser extent and lesser degree, I think the Colts are in the mix here a little bit because, you know, it's the same reason that I'm so optimistic about the Titans. You have four gimmies on the schedule every year right now against the Jaguars and the Texans. And if Carson Wentz, for him... This is prove-it time. This is put-up-or-shut-up time because he's no longer in Philadelphia. He's reunited with Frank Reich. He has one of the premier offensive lines in the league in front of him helping to keep him upright, and he has explosive playmakers all over that offense, including in the backfield in Jonathan Taylor at running back. He has nice weapons on the perimeter, and the, the Indianapolis Colts' success really hinges on Wentz being the player that the Eagles thought they drafted in 2016 and believed that they had in 2017, and Wentz not regressing back to a player who's sabotaged by his own ego and insecurities, and a guy that needs to be willing to take on hard coaching, which Wentz was reluctant to and reticent to to a fault in Philadelphia, and that's from talking to people in that locker room on those coaching staffs. Maybe Frank Wright gets through to him, and if he does, Look out for Indy. If he doesn't, man, that that situation could implode pretty quickly. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show. Former Titans wide receiver Chris Sanders joins me next.
0: Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com.
1: Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show and joining us a conversation I'm really looking forward to here is Chris Sanders, former Tennessee Titans wide receiver, and you can find him on Instagram 81 underscore ways. Chris, how's it going, man?
0: Man, I'm good. First of all, you said former. You made me sound like I'm 75 years old.
1: <laughs> man, you, got,
0: you, got, you got to ease into it, man. You got to say uh, old Tennessee Titan. When you say former, it's like I passed away, came back and had two more kids.
1: You used to be a Tennessee Titans. Water saved. That old. might work, right? Forever Titan. Forever Titan. I like <laughs> that. I like that. Once a Titan, always a Titan, right? Yes, so that sir. would make yes, a sir. lot of sense for you. You know, Chris, you played wide receiver. You spent your entire career in Tennessee, right? And, you know, they landed one of the premier talents in the league right now, a bona fide superstar in Julio Jones. What do you think Julio is going to mean to that offense?
0: I think he's going to help everybody get better. I mean, you have Derek Henry, who's in the runner, who's playing the running back position, and then you have A.J. Brown, and then you have uh, a couple of other players, other wide receivers like Dez Fitzpatrick, and and Batson and guys like that, he just made everybody better. Because when you have Julio Jones, he's going to demand attention. When you demand attention and, you know, road covers the his side, then a lot of those other guys are going to get one-on-one coverage. And also, it's going to eliminate all the carries that Derrick Henry's going to take. Because we always talk about the Tennessee Titans being a run first, pass second. We don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, we, we really don't. Because when you have two bona fide superstars on the outside, you're going to have to give them the ball, and it's going to lessen those carries.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I touched on that a little bit before we brought you on here that, you know, you look at that offense going forward, right? And if defenses want to play cover two, they want to drop a safety back or create a little bit of space so they don't get beat over the top. Well, now all you got to do is hand it off to Derrick Henry. Or or if you want to crowd the box, if you want to throw eight in the box because Henry's gashing you, A.J. Brown's over here, Julio's over there, pick your poison.
0: I mean, it reminds, it reminds me of 1999 when we went to the Super Bowl and he played the L.A. Rams. Look at all the talent that they have. It's the greatest show on turf. I mean, they had Marshall Falk, they had Torrey Holt, they had guys that can make plays and, 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 and everybody knew their role. And that's the same thing with the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, you have some bona fide superstars and yeah, those guys are going to make plays and yeah, they're going to roll coverage and yeah, they're going to do all those things. But even though you have this firepower, everybody has to know their role. What is Julio's role? What is A.J. Brown's role? What is Henry's role? What is Des Patrick's role? What is Batson's role? I mean, all, the, all these things that you got to put it together. But I, just like you said before, if you start rolling coverages, then that's going to let somebody else be open. And that's where A.J. Brown makes a living.
1: Oh, no doubt about it. And Chris, you know, Julio's coming a little bit off a statistically down season. He was banged right. up, fighting through a couple injuries and all of those things. Do you think getting into a new environment, a fresh start, we saw what it did for Tom Brady, different position yeah. and all that, but we saw what it did for Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Do you think a new environment, a new situation is really what was missing for him last year? And, you know, getting to a new situation might help push him to another level?
0: Yeah, and the environment is, is really, really good. Because if you look when he was Atlanta, it's not that it was bad in Atlanta, but, you know, the last couple of years, he kept hearing the media that he's hurting and he can't stay healthy. And when you start hearing all those things, sometimes you start to doubt yourself, even if you are a superstar. So, you know, he's here with the Tennessee Titans. And just listen to his interview. He kept talking about what the media was saying. He can't run. And he's 32 years old. And this is exactly what he said. He just said, let's just tune in and see. So that just shows you he has an edge. It shows you that he wants to play here. And it shows you that he wants to win.
1: And you look at that franchise, talk about you, you talk about Derek Mason, you talk about some of the other star receivers that came through there. You know, Julio Jones, he's the bona fide number one wide receiver, probably a guy who's going to be right. in the mix 1,000, 1,500 yards. But A.J. Brown, you know, how does that impact his development? Not only having a guy like Julio to learn from, but mm. Julio is going to command some attention on the other side. Yeah. Does this now push A.J. Brown to that 1,200-yard-plus category this year and moving forward? How does this impact him, you think?
0: I think so. I think I think A.J. Brown can learn from uh, Julio Jones big time just the way he beats double coverage. I mean, when you're looking at how he beats double coverage, that will propel A.J. Brown, because now if yeah. you take your your focus off of Julio Jones and you start, you know, double coverage in A.J. Brown, by learning from Julio Jones, he'll beat those double coverages. And that's a good thing. When I first got in the league, I was a fast guy and I'll jump over you and do all those things. But the one guy that I learned from running routes was Webster Slaughter. Webster slaughter taught me how to run routes he taught me how to beat cover two. he taught me how to beat leverage when or, or going against the db and learning how to get off the get 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 the db off the spot and stacking him all those things so i learned from a Wiley vet and that's the same thing with aj brown if he just learns from a Wiley vet his game is going to go up 100 uh, 100 plus why because he understands the game he understands what they're doing coverage wise and he understands what it takes to be that elite receiver
1: so let's broaden this out, right? Because you look at the Titans and obviously they're in the conversation here with Julio and AJ, but who are your top two or three wide receiver duos in the league right now? I mean, you look at what Dallas has, you look yeah. at certainly Tampa Bay, they, they've built something yeah. nice there. I love some of the young talent around Justin Herbert, but yeah. as you know, you survey the league, Chris, who are <laughs> your two top, top two or top three wide receiver I, duos right I
0: now? Think, I think my top duo is, and I hate to say this, is the on Cleveland Browns? Dang, it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got Landry and Odell Beckham. I mean, those are guys that just continuously make plays. And just like what you said with the Tampa Bay, they have some some good wide receivers. Uh, what's that? I can't remember to talk his name. Number thirteen from the Tampa Bay Bucks.
1: Oh, uh, Mike Evans.
0: Mike Evans, and you yeah. have good ones and all those guys like that. So they're in the mix also. But here's the deal: you may have have some some top elite receivers, but you but the offensive coordinators have to make sure they put them in position to make plays. I mean, and that's what Todd Down is going to have to do. Even though you have some elite, elite players, you got to make sure you put them in formations to where it benefits them. Because if you just have guys on the outside and not move them around like Julio Jones did at um, Atlanta, then, you know, you ju- you just you just have two elite receivers.
1: Yeah, and just looking at Tennessee for a second, you know, their offense obviously has been the focal point the last couple of years and getting Julio Jones only helps that. But, you know, mm-hmm. th- their defense kind of got undone in that playoff loss to the Ravens last year and Mm -hmm. you know you saw what happened against the Steelers they came into that building and kind of dictated to Tennessee but then you go out in the offseason you get Farley you get Molden you get Bud Dupree all these moves you know as a Tennessee Titans alum and always Titan you know as we put it earlier (laughs) right you know are are you more comfortable with Tennessee's defense going into this year and if so how much better can they be
0: you know I, I am and the reason why I say it is because you know when you get Julio Jones they he just made the defensive better And the reason why I say that is because, you know, the Tennessee Titans are going to score some points and all they need to do is get a couple of stops. If you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, the reason why the Kansas City Chiefs are so good is because they're potent on offense. They got Mahomes and they have Tyreek Hill. They have all these guys and the defense just gets a stop here and there knowing that their offense is going to score points. So even if the defense is not the top 10 defense, if they get one or two stops a game with the firepower that the Tennessee Titans have, it'll overcome the the limitations that the Tennessee Titans have on defense.
1: For sure. And, you know, you were drafted in the same draft class as Mr. Titan himself, Steve yeah. McNair. And, you know, mm-hmm. he was a franchise quarterback and, you know, one of the more underappreciated, in my opinion, quarterbacks mm-hmm. of his era. You know, you look at what's happening right now in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill and you hear people kind of question whether or not mm-hmm. he's the guy. The numbers say he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league right. under pressure. He has one of the, the strongest arms in the league in terms of deep ball accuracy and all those things. But you know, have have people just not watched him enough? Do they not understand what Ryan Tannehill is? Is it because he's a yeah. late bloomer? How do you feel about Ryan Tannehill and what do you think is missing from the national perception?
0: I, I just think I just think that sometimes people do a disservice to him because he doesn't have the big numbers. But as a quarterback, he's taking care of the ball. He's not yeah. throwing interceptions and he's making the right play. So even though the, the 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 national media is not saying he's he's a top two or top three in the league. He's the top quarterback for the Tennessee Titans because he's protecting the football. He's putting the ball in the right hands. He's throwing, you know, great balls. Just like two years ago when they were playing against the Baltimore Ravens and Khalif Raymond, and he threw a bomb to Khalif Raymond. He threw it on the money. That was a pretty long ball. So he's taking care of the football. He's throwing it to where only the receivers can. And he's he's coming up with plays that a lot of quarterbacks don't make. Just like what uh, two years ago when they played the Kansas City Chiefs and they were down by two, he faced the ball to Henry and he gets a two a two yard a, a, a two point conversion and he runs over. a safety. See, yeah. those are the little intangible things that makes him good, good for the Tennessee Titans. Not maybe not national-wise, but for the Tennessee Titans. And that's why he's good for the for the team.
1: for what they need and for that system and all that talent exactly. around him. Obviously exactly. he's yeah. gonna, you know, he's a guy that can get it done. You know, you, you think about Steve at the time You know, Steve McNair was the highest drafted African American quarterback in league history. And you look at some of the guys that came after him, and you're talking about, you know, the Michael Vicks and the Lamar Jacksons and the Russell Wilsons, and, you know, Cam Newton is in that conversation as well. Was Steve McNair somebody you played with, a teammate of yours, was he a trailblazer, you think, for th- this generation and this wave of black quarterbacks and the success that they're having?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, it is. The reason why I, I have so much respect for Steve McNair is because the first years he came down, he he uh, came to the, uh, the Houston Oilers slash Titans, is he sat and he learned from Chris yeah. Chandler. Chris Chandler was a great quarterback. I came in and I started as a rookie, but he kind of sat for two years and played. But, yeah, you're right, he's a trailblazer. He, he paid his dues, and then I think it was in 2002 he was a co-MVP. So it just shows you that if you just wait your turn and, and, and work hard and do what you need to do, you can find yourself being in elite quarterback. And and the reason why I say he can mean that he was an elite quarterback, not just because he was a black, he was a black quarterback, it's just that he was a great quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. So sure. you know, I just I just love what he did. I know he came in a little slow and you know he learned the defense, and he learned how to get the ball in the right hands and learned how to recover just and he stayed patient. A lot of quarterbacks don't want to stay patient, they want to get in and play right away and 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 take your, your bumps and bruises, but what Steve McNair did is he just enjoyed the process. He embraced the process to say, you know what? I understand I'm not playing. I understand that I'm not ready, but I'm going to be ready. And that's what happened in 2002 when he won uh, won the co-MVP.
1: And that really helped him become an icon in Tennessee and the face of that franchise. Even to this day, you think about the Tennessee Titans. You think about guys like Steve McNair, like Eddie George. But was there a a moment or a memory with you? Because, of course, Steve was taken from us tragically way too soon, not just from football, but from this world. As a teammate and a friend of his, is there a story that you you know carry no, yeah. near and dear to your heart about him?
0: Oh, yeah. We were playing uh, the Dallas Cowboys, and it's like third and eight. And the play before, he broke his finger, and his finger was bent back the other way. So in the huddles, me, Frank Wycheck, Eddie As a George, quarterback,
1: like, this happens. You see that with linemen sometimes. The pinkies yeah, get oh. all twisted, but as a quarterback... So-
0: this was it was this thing. Is this called the index? I think it's the index finger. Whatever, one of the, whatever it is. But um, it was it was bent back, and and, and we were like going to call a timeout and be like, you know, you need to get out of here. All he did was like, I'm good. That's all he said was, I'm good. And um, he gets underneath the center, and all you can see, he, he makes the can He says, blue seventeen, blue seventeen, and you can see him pop it back in, oh. and then he runs up. Then he runs a forty-six yard touchdown for us to win the game.
1: <laughs> Unbelievable. That's the, kind of That's the kind of guy he was. And I mean, that's not it, toughness. I don't know what is, right? Oh, oh I would have called a
0: timeout. I would have called my mama. I would have called my cousin, my uncle, to be like, my finger hurt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he tucks it under and runs 47 yards for a touchdown, 46 touch,
0: yards. Right? I would have called a timeout and took off my gear and went in the locker room and had some Gatorade and just chilled.
1: <laughs> there you go. And, you know, you're an Ohio State alum, and I'm not going to hold that against you as a Penn State uh, guy, but you're an Ohio State alum. You know, yes. you look at Urban Meyer, former Ohio State coach. What do you make of what's happening in Jacksonville right now, both with Trevor Lawrence and him, you know, being the starting quarterback and the number one pick and bringing Tim Tebow in? What do you make of what's happening with Urban Meyer and the Jaguars right now?
0: I think it's going to be very interesting. I know he's a great uh, uh, college coach. I really don't know how he is. In the pros, but I, I guarantee you, this is probably one of the most competitive coaches you will ever meet. He wants to win, he wants to make change. And I think that, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars absolutely needed that. And I want to talk about this Tebow thing too. And everybody's been so critical of Tebow that, you know, he comes in and he playing tight end and all that. Listen, this is somebody we always talk about everybody going after their dreams and going after their passion. This is his dream. And he's not coming in to be a sideshow and say, you know, here I am. No, he's coming in to work and just look at, you know, his body. His body has gotten huge. He is humongous. I mean, he's got some guns on him. So, you know, he worked out. He's taking this thing seriously. And I think Urban Meyer's like, you know what? I'm going to give you a chance. And if you can help us out you need to make some plays, we're going to put you on the team. So I think Urban Meyer is finding out every Way in every avenue or in every rock that's not on turn to try to figure out to try to win a win a championship.
1: How do you think that plays in that locker room? Right. Because you know, you talk to people around the league and, and they the same sort of reaction. They snicker at Tebow and you know, what is he doing? And he could lose the room. But but you know, I hadn't thought about the element of him just chasing his dreams. But as, yeah. as a guy, as a teammate, how would you look at that? Because maybe there's a better tight end out there in free agency. Maybe not, but here's a guy chasing it. How how do you, how do would you react if you were in that locker room? What would your mentality you be know, every day?
0: You know, we always talk about being a professional. We say that thing, and it's a cute word. This is how you need to be a professional. If Urban Meyer said, you know, we're going to bring Tim Tebow in, then I'm going to embrace the process because yeah. it's about the team. You know, you know, being a professional is not just finishing a sprint. Being a professional is respecting the positions that are in front of you. So if Urban Meyer and the general manager says, yeah, we're bringing in Tim Tebow, then I'm going to embrace it. That's what it means to be a professional. Being a professional is not, well, I finished a sprint or I gave my teammates some Gatorade. That's great and dandy. But how do you handle it if it's something that you may disagree with or agree with or do you respect the position? That's how I look at it.
1: For sure. And just kind of broadening out the scope here, looking at the entire league as a former wide receiver, obviously you know that familiarity with your quarterback, that helps a ton, right? And you look at this year's rookie class, Miami goes, they get to reunite Tua with Jalen Waddell. The Eagles reunite Jalen Hurts with Devontae Smith. (laughs) And, you know, Jamar Chase winds up back in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow. Of all of these guys, all of these quarterback wide receiver duos that had all kinds of success in college, is there one that you're most excited to watch or one that you think has the highest ceiling? Um, you,
0: know, you know who I like? I mean, I like those I like those quarterbacks that you named, but I like the quarterback that went to the Patriots.
1: Mac Jones, yeah.
0: Mac Jones. And the reason why I like him is I know he can't run and I know he can't run a four or five or four or six, but the way he throws the ball, I mean, the way he takes command of an offense. I know he's still kind of young and, you know, kind of, you know, played like one, had one good year, but I think the sky's the limit for him. And the reason why I say it is because, you know, you know, Belichick loves to find quarterbacks like that. I mean, look at, look at Brady when he first six came in. Six-round pick, six
1: 199 round or 196, back, whatever thing. pick he was taking, right?
0: And then when Brady came in and he was at the combine, he looked awful. He looked like somebody's uncle at a barbecue. I mean, he looked terrible. He looked terrible. But you know what he did? He saw something in Brady. And I think Belichick sees something in Mac Jones. So, you know, that's the pick that I love. I mean, everybody like, wow. I mean, it's, it may not be the sexy name. But I think you know it's sexy for the the the, uh, the Patriots,
1: for sure. And you know everybody talks about underrated receivers and guys that could break out or might be flying mm-hmm. just underneath the radar. You know, some people look at Tyler Lockett, DJ Moore. You know, guys like that. Who's the most underrated receiver in the league today that you think could uh, really bust out and become a household name?
0: Ooh, that's a that's a good name. Um, you know what? I know this sounds crazy, but I like the receiver from uh, the Indianapolis Col Pittman. Yeah. I mean, he's he scorched us when he came with. I mean, he had like 126 yards against the Tennessee Titans. I kind of like him. He's a big, physical receiver. He can run those little shallow cross and run and have yards after the catch. So I really like him. I know everybody talks a little bit about him, but I think if he steps up his game even more, I think he can be a good wide receiver in this league.
1: And you look at that offense. They have one of the best offensive lines in the league. Oh, yeah. They have Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, who's a legit you know, 100-yard back, and you drop Carson Wentz in there. Now, I don't know that Wentz is going to be in the right headspace, but he's certainly, with a head coach he's comfortable with, he has the weapons, and and if Wentz breaks out, that's all the more uh, breakout potential from Michael Pittman, for sure.
0: Yeah, but you you said the key word is you know, Wentz is comfortable with his team. He's comfortable yeah. with his coaches. He's comfortable with his players. And when, as, a, as a quarterback or any player, if you're comfortable and you're playing with confidence, that's a dangerous combo because you got to look at Wentz. Everybody's talking about how injury prone he is. He can't make the good throw. He's hearing that. You don't think that he's going to get an edge. I mean, just give you a perfect example, look at a couple of years ago with Derrick Henry. Everybody was talking about Derrick Henry was too big. He's not physical. He runs side to side. And then Eddie George got in his ears like, come on, man, you got to make it. And all of a sudden, uh, Derrick Henry created in an edge and got 2,000 yards. So, you know, that's the same thing can happen with Wentz. Wentz can be like, you know what, I'm tired of y'all talking about my mama. I'm tired of y'all talking about uh, all this stuff. You're talking about, that I'm injured. You're talking about I can't make a big play. You're talking about I can't win a big game. Let me show you with this offensive line, with these, with these receivers, and I think he's going to have a, a breakout here.
1: You were able to play in your career seven or eight years, pretty high level, and, and had a lot of success yeah. with Tennessee. As you watch this league today and you watch the NFL become more and more of a passing league, What's the one or two skills that a receiver has to have, not just to succeed, but maybe more importantly, have that longevity?
0: I think it's route running. You know, everybody talks about, well, I got to be six three and I run a four four or four three. That's great. But the defenses are going to find you out. I mean, look at AJ Brown. A, I mean, not AJ uh, um, Antonio Brown. Antonio is Antonio Brown is not the biggest. He's not the fastest. But the reason why his longevity is so long is because he understands how to run routes. He understands how to get the guy off the spot. He understands how to stack him. He understands how to use his eyes. He understands how to beat double coverages. He understands how to beat brackets. He understands those things. So if you understand those things as a receiver, then your career is going to be so long. I mean, look at Jerry Rice. The reason why Jerry Rice stayed the league so long is because he understood how to run routes, he understand how to beat double coverage, he understand what the quarterback was doing. He understand what the defense was going to do if they if they're shading inside as a cornerback. And he beat those things. So as a wide receiver, if I can understand that and master that skill set, then my longevity in the league will last a long, long time.
1: You look at the last two draft classes, right? And people say they're historic and a lot of generational talents at the position. But just zeroing in on last year, some of the guys that that went high in the first round, Jalen Rager, Henry Ruggs, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, Brandon Ayuk. I'm going to take Justin Jefferson and put him on a separate shelf because that, that dude's all pro already. But of those guys that went round one that we talked about, who breaks out and has the biggest year in year two?
0: I think Jerry Judy from the Broncos. Yeah. And the reason why I see it is, I was. Watching, it's funny that you said I was watching some of his film the other day, and he's killing them in OTAs. I think coming in as a rookie, there was, there was a lot of pressure on him, so he had to. He thought that he had to make the big catch, which he should. But he's understanding this game, and I watched him some of his the video from the Broncos. I mean, he. Is, he he's a dog, man. He's, he's, he runs some great routes. He's nasty. He's got an edge, and he stops on the Diamonds route. So I think Jerry Judy's going to be huge. Honestly.
1: It's funny you bring him up because I look at that team, and you have Noah Font at tight end, legitimate Dude, pass God. catcher. You look at Cortland Sutton, probably a top 20-ish receiver in the league, maybe mm-hmm. better than that. You have Jerry Judy. You have K.J. Hamler, who's a real speedster who I think yeah. has a chance to break out. A lot of talent on that team. They just have to figure out what they're doing at quarterback, in my opinion.
0: I mean, it, it, it's, it's like that. I mean, you can have all that talent on the perimeter. You can have a slot guy. You can have all those names you have. But if you don't have a quarterback that's going to take command and say, you know what, I'm going to put these guys in position. And also, you got to make sure you have an offensive coordinator to figure out, you know, a guy's skill set and what he's good at. To say, if he's not good in the slot, don't put him in the slot. If he's good at the perimeter, put him in perimeter. If he's good at, you know, coming across, you know, in motion and then running his routes, you got to figure that out. So if the offensive coordinator can figure that out and the quarterback figures that out, then now that their games, the, the, the Denver Broncos can go to a whole different level.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're going to be a lot of fun to watch. And this has been a lot of fun. It's been a great conversation, Chris. I really appreciate you taking the time. But before we get out the door, you and I have a mutual friend. And this mutual friend was, you know, telling me a story. He said that I need to bring this up to you. This was essential. Uh Apparently there was a time Uh where somebody mistook Chris Sanders for George Lynch. What happened here?
0: (laughs) Oh, uh, is, that, is that TD, Teron Davenport?
1: That's Teron told me that this was the must ask, that it would oh, make or my, break nah, he's the entire a, he's conversation. So
0: funny, man. I, I, I see we, we crack when we do radio together, we crack jokes all the time. I tell him he looks like Sam Cassell.
1: <laughs> yes, uh,
0: or he or, or Donald Driver from uh Donald
1: back, right? Driver. I could see, yes, yeah, <laughs> Sam he, he, he Cassell is just you like trying he to bust up. chops though. Oh man, oh yeah, we're just kidding, yeah, but he does look like Sam Cassell, though. chris this has been awesome i really appreciate you everybody make sure you follow chris sanders on instagram 81 underscore ways chris appreciate you what do you have going on these days what's chris sanders up to today in post titans life
0: actually i'm coaching at a, a private school coaching football mentoring these kids and i'm doing a lot of radio man so eventually i want to go to the nfl to win a couple Super Bowls, retire and go to florida
1: Love it. (laughs) Best of luck with that. Look like you can make a comeback. If Tim Devo can do it, Chris Sanders can do Uh, it well. well. Appreciate you, my man. Thank you. You got it, Chris. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate well- the conversation. You're welcome, man. Great conversation there with Chris Sanders. Certainly some great insight, not only on the Titans, but him and I are kind of in lockstep when it comes to Jerry Judy and the Denver Broncos. I think they're definitely a team to watch, probably just outside that Super Bowl hierarchy that we talked about earlier on in the program. But I think they make some big steps and some big strides this season. Coming up on the other side, we'll touch on the biggest storyline of the NFL today, one that doesn't seem to have any end in sight, and that's the stare-down between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms, bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome back. And certainly after Julio Jones was traded, the biggest remaining storyline in the NFL and the storyline with the most uncertainty going forward is Aaron Rodgers and his future or lack thereof with the Green Bay Packers. And that's kind of hovering over everything about Green Bay right now because I wrote about it in the column last week, and you saw it a little bit during their mini camp practices this week. Getting Jordan Love extra reps isn't a bad thing for the Green Bay Packers. They're probably doing cartwheels from the offices in Lambeau Field to their practice facility across the parking lot that they get a look, an extended look, at their first-round pick from two years ago, Jordan Love at quarterback, now during mandatory practices with Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard and all of those weapons while Aaron Rodgers is away. But there's going to come a point in time where that elation is going to probably turn into trepidation about what the future holds because it's one thing to get Jordan Love extra reps during June and July. It's a whole other animal. If you don't believe he's ready to be a starting quarterback in this league and he's forced into action, forced into starting week one on the road in New Orleans against the Saints, that's going to be a litmus test. But I think that talking to people inside the league this week This was really the first time that I got the sense that, okay, there's a very real possibility that Aaron Rodgers doesn't play this year, that he could sit out. And and certainly that wouldn't mean and include fines for every day that he's out. That would be forfeiting tens of millions of dollars by Aaron Rodgers for not playing. But these two sides, the Packers and general manager Brian Gutenkunst and Aaron Rodgers, they seem as dug in as ever. Because it doesn't sound to me like Aaron Rodgers has any intent of bending. I think there are still a lot of hurt feelings over the fact that he didn't get a phone call from the Packers when Green Bay chose Jordan Love. He didn't get the reassurance from the organization and from head coach Matt LaFleur that maybe he wanted and he felt he deserved and was probably entitled to as an MVP caliber quarterback coming off a year where their season ended in the NFC championship game against a 49ers team that really exploited their weaknesses especially on offense and the Packers side and you talk to people close to Gutenkunst and you know it just sounds like he's using this situation to put his stranglehold on the franchise to put his fingerprints on the organization and to draw a line that he's not going to bend even to star players even to the league MVP that if Jordan Love is capable of playing at a high level that he's going to go out and see if Jordan Love can play at that high level that he's not going to give in and he's not going to be bullied and he's not going to be negotiated with negatively by Aaron Rodgers and his camp and it just I got the sense this week that this thing is going to stretch into training camp and if it stretches into training camp and if Love starts lighting it up then obviously that's going to put some pressure on Aaron Rodgers. But from all accounts this week, Love didn't light it up. There were reports that he struggled with accuracy, struggled with pushing the ball downfield during practice, and it wasn't a great look for Jordan Love. But, you know, I just don't have a strong feeling that this is going to work itself out. And I think that it might be more likely that Aaron Rodgers doesn't play in 2021 than it is that he plays for the Packers at all ever again. This podcast is under review. Oh, you know what that sound is. This podcast is officially under review. Each and every week, we'll read a five-star review, or any review for that matter, from a listener of the podcast and, and share your thoughts on the pod. This one comes in from Bama Barner 17 and he writes, More Lombardo. The Matt Lombardo Show is absolutely great. Great guests, great analysis, and great commentary. Thanks, BamaBarner17. Your check is in the mail. Appreciate the feedback. And as always, if you love what you hear on the program, I'd love if you would subscribe. And if you leave those five-star reviews, we'll read them on future podcasts. That's about all the time we have. Thanks to you for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at MattLombardoNFL. You can read the column each Wednesday on Fansided.com. Thanks to Chris Sanders for stopping by, joining in the conversation, sharing some great memories of Steve McNair, great analysis of the Tennessee Titans, and great analysis of the wide receivers across the league. As always, I really appreciate the help of Fansided's Chris Thompson. He's instrumental in putting this podcast together every week. And if you enjoy the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe and if you leave those five-star reviews. I'm Matt Lombardo. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. If you suffer from ED, 15 minutes could change your life. Peak Performance for Men offers a revolutionary treatment called Focus Linear Compression Therapy. There's no pain, no needles,
0: and no downtime. Now, Peak Performance for Men is offering six sessions free with qualifying treatment protocol enrollment. There's never been a better time or a better deal to fix ED. Call Columbus's only trusted Focus Linear Compression Therapy provider today at 614-739-8181. That's 614-739-8181.